Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, there's an old saying you might have heard, which is that if you're a young person and you are not left-wing or liberal, then you have no heart. But if you get to 35 and you're still left and liberal, then you have no head. What that really means is that in Britain at the moment, we seem to have a lot of young people who are just all heart. Because there was a survey done just after the last general election in December, which showed that if only 18 to 24 year olds were voting, then basically Jeremy Corbyn would have had a majority of over 500 seats. And indeed, Boris Johnson would have been left with something like four seats. So that shows you a massive divide. What does this actually mean? Are young people more left-wing than they've ever been? If so, what is the outlook for conservatism, right-wing politics going into the future? Is it a bleak outlook? Now, I've got four great guests to talk about this today. First of all, we have Dominique Samuels. Dominique used to be of Turning Point UK. She's now president of a new group called the Orthodox Conservatives. We have Jake Scott, who is indeed head of philosophy and ideology for the new Conservative Orthodox. And also Emily Hewitson, who you might remember made a real splash last year when she was on Question Time in the audience, has since become a bit of a social media star. She is a member of the Conservative Party. She briefly went to the Brexit Party or voted for the Brexit Party. She's now back with the Conservative Party. And the NCF's resident guest, uh, historian, accommodator, and old Conservative, Rafe Hadelmanku. Not quite as old as me, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for coming. I want to start by asking you a very fundamental uh, question. If someone says to you, uh, are you right wing, what is your reaction, Dominique? I just say yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, I think that maybe when I was uh, a bit younger and like getting more into conservatism and what it kind of meant for me, I think I'd be kind of hesitant to say whether or not I was because being right wing is often associated with negative attributes such mm. as you know racism, xenophobia, homophobia, all of those phobias. But now I think it's important to just be honest with people and not let other people kind of control your narrative for you. So if I'm asked, I'll just say, yeah. Yeah, so you don't recall from it. What about you, Amity? Um, I'd say yes, I'm a proud right winger. And I think it's yeah. important that other young people have that kind of pride. I mean, the amount of young people that I have in my DMs saying that they are a conservative, but they're just too scared to say it. And I think yeah. it's so important that people like us are given a platform to say, yes, I am a young person and I'm right wing and I'm proud of it. And so should you be. So basically, right. So but you use right wing and conservative interchangeably there. Do you think there's a difference or? My answer's changed, I'd say, over the last few years. Right. When people used to ask me if I was right wing, I, I was very much the same. Um, now, I think my answer is, is, is a question in return, which is what, what do you mean by right wing? Mm -hmm. um, mostly because as Dominique's pointed out, there's this old stigma surrounding it of, of racism, xenophobia, homophobia, which probably is there's still an element of or, or residual. But I think the other point is that I'm probably right wing on a lot of issues and probably left wing on a few. Mm -hmm. um, Economically, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm probably less right-wing than a lot of my peers. I don't know if I'm necessarily on the left, yeah. but my attitude towards capitalism and markets has become very sceptical and, and very cautious. Um, 
I believe that if you look at the history of capitalism in the UK, it's it's gone from being something of a resistance to feudalism and a resistance to mercantilism to one of corrosiveness, especially following the neoliberal revolution of the 1980s. Right. I see. It's interesting because you're quite, you know, you're quite frank about it. You know, Dominique, you're saying you're right wing, Emily, but I mean, it's, it seems to me that generally culturally this has become a term that people will do anything but, you know, identify themselves by. Wouldn't you say, Rafe? That's right. I mean, the great Just right wing, you know? The great victory of the last 20 years has been the ability of the left to stigmatise anyone who called mm. themselves right wing as being beyond the pale, whereas mm. the left wing was to essentially be a person who's concerned with society, mm -hmm. despite the fact that high Toryism is all about conserving society, conserving mm. all levels of society, looking out for people, noblesse oblige if you want to look at it from the traditional um, sense in the, yeah. in the old Tory sense. But certainly the new generation of conservatives we're seeing in the generation Z, those born after 1996, are conservative when it comes to values and in terms of their economic conservatism, it's about personal responsibility, in terms of their sexual lives as well. So it's not so much a party political affiliation as much more a concern for looking after themselves and for the planet. There are a lot of woke issues where they are actually also still very left-wing. So the conservatives of the future are going to be economically more liberal, more liberal on a lot of woke issues, whereas a lot of their intrinsic values are going to be conservative. But you see, okay, I can see that, that that's quite a, I say that's quite an optimistic analysis, therefore, you know, that but then when you look at the survey I quoted, like 500 seat majority, how, how come? I mean, you know, what about your friends? I mean, are you unusual? Um, I'd, I'd say I am generally. I mean, a lot of my friends do vote Labour or vote Green Party. I think that's that's. Why do they vote for them? Why? Um, I think that how they see society is that fundamentally our services need investment, and they see the Conservative Party as being intrinsically against that kind of issue and that's just not the case. I think a lot of it comes from marketing. Obviously social media is a massive thing for young people and if you go onto Twitter, a lot of the posts that get hundreds of impressions are from left-wingers. They have got really good at the social media trend. We mm. saw it a bit more with Boris this time. He's starting to kind of pick up on that, on that lead. But I think when you see on Twitter, I mean, on election day, I think the three top trends were basically around hashtag vote Labour. <laughs> and it's very easy to kind of jump on that bandwagon and join in because you don't want to be an outsider at the end of the day. And I think social media has a massive part to play. That. Do you think so? I mean, so social media? I think social media is important, but just like with regards to why young people seem to veer more to the left, I'd say it's, you know, like what Emily said about the kind of economics that the Tories pursue mm. when it comes to um, public services, and also the fact that there is still a lot of stigma attached with being conservative and social issues with regards to racism, with regards to homophobia and all of those kinds of things. And I think that, um, I don't think the conservatives have made that much of an effort to kind of appeal to the groups that Labour targets. And I think that we could target those culturally conservative ethnic minority communities, for example, which I don't think we've done because we just think that, you know, well, they're lost to Labour forever. And I, I just personally don't think that's the case. I think, yeah. Dominic's absolutely correct here. And I, I'm a bit worried about the complacency that may set in with the Tory party 
winning such a large majority because they do need to remember that coming up is a huge demographic, a very large demographic. Generation Z is going to be a very large demographic in, in, in if future trends are going with each subsequent generation of being completely alienated from the Conservative Party. And it's basically, that's why I've said in previous episodes, there needs to be a reverse of this long march to the institutions because the Department of Education, the university situation we have, both in secondary schools and in, in higher education, yeah. is so dominated by the left now. It's gone in 20 years from having a a majority of two liberals for every one conservative to having an eight or nine majority for every yeah. liberal to conservative that is completely impossible now to have a balanced view of conservative and right-wing politics or right-wing ideology within the, an academic setting and so that's why you're seeing the rise of the environment and racism and homophobia as, as being seen in an era when actually homophobia and racism are at the lowest levels ever they're being, <laughs> they're being seen mm. to be the most you know acute problems in the country mm. and that's because of the ideology that's being f fermented within the education system. You're all at college aren't you? You're at York, you're at Birmingham and you're at King's in London aren't you? I mean I, what is it like, I mean do you feel this uh, in the university campuses? You know we've covered on the programs you know about the incredible restriction that there is increasingly. Mm -hmm. I went to a very left-wing university Kent back in the 1980s and um, you know it was very left-wing. I mean you got up as a Tory as I then was and you and uh, you know, you took your life in your hands a bit, but I mean, it seems to be more acute now, wouldn't you say? I think I think you're right. Um, there's certainly an almost recoiling moment when you say that you're a conservative in class. When I was an undergraduate, you say I, it in class though. You do well, say absolutely. It. I never, I never, as, as Dominique and and, and um, as Emily both rightly say, you should not be ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I do. I was, I was quite strident in saying it. And there is this moment of almost, as, as, as Rafe says, beyond the pale. How mm. could you be? Um, and I think it largely comes down to, like, like Dominique said, this the stigma. But I think, also think there's a caricature. You know, one of the enduring quotes of Lenin is that capital, uh, fascism is capitalism in decay, which in itself is, a, is an awful diagnosis of what capitalism actually is. But the other side of it is that I think capitalism has dominated the Conservative Party for so long now that there are certain things we see as inherently right-wing that aren't necessarily right-wing, mm. like yeah. uh, disregard for ecology and, and mm. the environment and these sorts of things. Um, so to return to the question of university, when I was an undergraduate, when I was in class, I, I was very strident and said, yes, I am. And, and now when I teach, because I'm, I'm a doctoral researcher, um, I introduce my, myself at the start and say, I, I am a conservative, and I'm a conservative of the Scrutonian tradition and the Burkean tradition. And uh, I have a few students come up to me at the end of the class and say, well, I'm really glad that you said that. See, the thing is, is that, you know, when I s listen to you, and, and, and also after what Rose just said, I can't help feeling you are, you slipped through the net by being conservative. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, right, is, I think Ray pointed it out, when you talk about homophobia, race, all this, you know, that was never a reason not to be conservative in the party. It wasn't, those weren't the problems with being conservative. Mm. I think it was about that you were considered authoritarian, for example. You were considered like, you know, you liked the Queen and the, and the army, and that was what made you conservative. Mm. These things, though, isn't this surely about what people, I was about to say, you know, like your age, have been taught all the way along? Isn't this the point? From I'd, school uh, onwards? Personally, I'd, I massively agree. The, the, like I say, the, the, this caricature of the right, in my opinion, I mean, I had to study history and politics when I was an undergrad, uh, when I was a, a secondary school in sixth form, and when you discuss history, anyone who's 
mildly considered evil mm. is implied to be on the right, mm. regardless. And it's not the other way around. It's not that if they're on the right, they're evil. It's that if they're evil, they're on the right. Um, and I just wanted to say, for example, I remember, I think I was about 14 in my English class. I don't know what this has to do with English, but uh, I, it was just after UKIP had won the European elections, I think in 2014. Um, and we were actually shown the different uh, political broadcasts of UKIP and Labour. And our teacher stood there and dictated how UKIP was this racist party. And she can't believe that the UK has become so racist that it would vote for them. And then she contrasted it with Labour being this you know, lovely, warm, welcoming, inclusive party. And I remember that so distinctly. And looking back, I was absolutely shocked. If I knew what I knew now, I wish that I kind of stood up to that and kind of challenged that. Because I don't really think there's a place for that in the classroom. Well, good. So you were 14? Yes, I was 14. To me, that's outright indoctrination. Yeah. Outright indoctrination. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you ever had anything like that happen? Um, me personally, when I went to college, um, it was dominated by left-wing students and my teacher was admittedly left-wing. But when we were actually learning about philosophical conservatism, which is what um, brought me to mm. the Conservative Party eventually, she actually got a One Nation Conservative teacher that was um, in the college and worked in the politics department to actually teach us it. Yeah. So it wasn't biased, and it was actually her teaching, which was, you know, she didn't present the ideas in a biased way that actually got me interested in conservatism. Yeah. But there was an, an incident um, at university, actually, um, I worked as a student ambassador for first year and we were with um, all of these students that were in college and Brexit came up and there was a PhD student who was, you know, doing the presentation and Brexit came up and he was basically presenting all of these doomsday forecasts to all of these, these kids mm. that don't know any better mm. and mm. it really annoyed me to be honest and I actually started debating with him like actually this but this and people came up to me afterwards and they were actually really grateful for it because if I didn't say something they would have had the idea that the UK is going to run out of food and everyone's going to be starving and it's going to be a virtual apocalypse mm, mm. if we dare to leave the European Union. So yeah I've experienced mm. that before. I, I think it's more prevalent in university because there's a lot more freedom for lecturers and people that are responsible for educating people to kind of reveal their views more so. There's always been a left-wing bias. I mean I was at university for nine years in total so I saw this transformation through the 90s. 1992 I was 14 and I was one of the first to jump onto the Leave the EU Brigade along with Nigel wow. and as a 14 year old who was, I began my, my role commentating career at 19 advocating for the monarchy during the Annus Horribilis period and you know I, I was you know <laughs> far beyond the pale as a monarchist <laughs> Brexiteer <laughs> in the 90s yeah, yeah, so yeah. and it's quite appealing actually in a way to be a cont contrarian like that but in those days you could study military history, diplomatic history, universities all those courses are gone now because you have superstar historians like Niall Ferguson who was unable to get tenure at any university. He has to be employed by a think tank, the Hoover Institution in America, because universities won't take him because he wrote a book saying that the British Empire wasn't all bad. You know, there was a good side to the British Empire as well as a less good side. And yet the, these superstar historians cannot get hired despite being mainstream by the standards of the 90. Today they're deemed to be far too extreme. Yeah. It is, uh, it is quite extraordinary what's happened in that way. I think I, everything has, I think, compressed and become far more constricted. Um, Rafe talks about Generation Z, right? So, does that, do you, would you call yourself Generation Z? I mean, you... you well, uh, te what technically, is even I, Generation technically Z? Technically I am, but I just feel that there's a lot of uh, 
connotations that come with Generation Z that what I've is not it? What is it? I think it's a very uh, woke, woke culture. Woke? <laughs> I'd, I'd argue that, um, you know, yeah, there's a certain wokeness that kind of surrounds the label. So technically I am Generation Z, but I'm not sure I really like being called it. Well, I thought it was millennials who were the most woke. Well. I, I, I don't know when the, the Gen Z generation starts. I mean, Rafe said 96. I've heard 90. Mm. I, I'm born in 95, so I don't know where this leaves me. 96 and 2000 are the years okay. that I, I've heard most quoted. Right. Right, okay. okay. So basically, as Generation Z, you would be being taught by millennials? Is that right to say? Yes, actually, I think that's like true actually, because yeah. teachers are becoming younger and younger. Yes, exactly. They're going from being maybe yeah. like 30 to 40 to being fresh yeah, graduates. Right. Because yeah, you see, what I've heard as well is that, and this is anecdotal, right, is that the like Generation Z or 19, 20 year olds are rebelling against the huge wokeness of the ones just above. Does that resonate with you? Do you think that's true? There are some inklings of that. There's like this, um, it's more prevalent in America though, mm. I think. The, there are some like kind of fringe ones that call themselves Zoomers and they're like <laughs> <laughs> Zoomers. they're called Zoomers. Zoomers and they're like very very kind of like fringe on the right and they like completely reject the kind of um, hegemony of like ideology that we see right now when it comes to you know the woke generation yeah. kind of yeah. the millennial generation I don't know I don't know if I identify with it I, I just call mm. myself I think one of the big me. things you're seeing basically is <laughs> Generation Z and Millennials do share the same woke ideology as a whole. So and it's not no surprise because they're being taught by the same. Mm -hmm. And the success of the left has been to get themselves onto the administration departments, onto onto the onto the administration of, of universities, into the chancellor's office, but also mm -hmm. onto committees. Quango, they do yeah. the hiring. No, the committees within universities departments to do the hiring. So they've been very effective. And so over the next ten years, if we have ten years of Tory government. There needs to be a move to shift the things back on, onto a, a more even keel. No one's mm. asking for a Tory majority, but just to have a natural balance. I mean, Professor Jonathan Haidt, who has written about this, has said that you know, all societies need to have an equal balance of opinion. That's how what people we, want to have. How do we go about like, implementing that, though? Uh, do you know, that was going to be my last question today. Oh. You no, no you, <laughs> brought, no, you brought it up. No, how do we, actually, yes, how do we, do, how do we get to that point? I wonder, you know, it's a very important point. If you want to try to adjust the balance, uh, balance, how? Have you got any answers for this? How would you do it? I think practically. It, I think it's by making all I, all ideologies very broad church. Um, so I guess it's just about accepting different viewpoints within the same ideology and not not focusing too much on labels. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it is a hard one because uh, in when you put it in practice, it's. Uh, like gaining that balance is tricky but I guess the, the easiest way is just open debate tolerance all of those big issues but it, it is it is going to be tricky it's not going to be an easy feat it's not but you see but when you talk about like committees and and people coming in everything you're talking about basically getting people who are going to have about there's be more of a political balance on these very things is that not right yeah I think that the government could play a role um, especially seeing as we do have a Conservative government right now that has a sizable majority. There should be way more focus on the suppression of free speech at universities. You know, when it comes to the things that university lecturers do, the kind of ideas that they push onto students, I, I do think that there needs to be a bit more of a, a crackdown, specifically when it comes to banning 
um, mm. certain speakers that you don't like from campuses mm. or you know banning certain academics that you don't like I do think that the government needs to say to these universities you either facilitate free speech and facilitate a, a diversity of ideas or the certain things that you receive from us that you will get no longer and, you know, Absolutely, and, and these Mickey Mouse courses, gender studies, women's studies, which were created by, <laughs> in, in the 60s, you know, there was a de desire to create these departments and they were created by female faculty who were brought over essentially from departments of English yeah. because there weren't that many mm -hmm. female faculty in universities. So there was no science component to these, there was no biology, biologist brought over. And so you have these the theories with no actual evidence sustaining the arguments put forward by these departments. And so the government just needs to say, look, unless you up your game and you actually have proper peer review by re recommended and, and re recognised authorities and departments of psychology and, and, and genetics and so forth, we're going to defund you. There needs yeah. to be wide-scale defunding of all of these Mickey Mouse courses and uh, that way I think you'll hopefully get some you know, redress of this if they don't, ch if they don't change. No, n no one's doing a Mickey Mouse course here, are they? I don't necessarily disagree, but I would be cautious over any, any um, zealous overpowering of the state in, in that there's always got to be some concern for what if the people we don't agree with come into power. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily disagree, as I say. I think that there's got to be a certain degree of oversight and maybe that needs to be done now. But the issue I've always found with any of these measures is that it's very easy for this to then go the, the other way. And I think that's what we need to be concerned with. It's, 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 it's fine for us to sit here and say we're looking at 10 years of a Tory majority, but what if that didn't happen? What if mm -hmm. the 2024 election was a huge upset? Well, we should, be calling, we should be calling for balance in departments of history Absolutely and politics agree. and sociology and so forth. Mm. And balance there. But in terms of these other courses, gender studies and, and, and women's, there needs to be actual scientific uh, rigour applied to, to applied to these courses. Yeah. And, you know, theories need to be called out when the evidence doesn't support the theories because you get the BBC and others touting this evidence yes. as being, you know, mm. peer-reviewed scientific mm. quality evidence when it's clearly not. Well, if, if I may, the, um, the, just speaking as someone who's in academia and, and, and kind of wrestling with this, this, this movement towards the, the teaching excellence framework and the, the, reference ex uh, the research excellence framework, the TEF and the REF, was an idea to kind of reintroduce this, this rigour into publication. But what it's kind of done is the counter. It, it's, it's forced this rush of publications, you know, this, this, this publish or perish attitude that was there in the 80s and 90s and has just accentuated itself now. So rather than actual good research, you just get this, this avalanche of, of tosh and just for the sake of it. So it does the opposite of what it's intended to do. And you've got the huge scandal that recently when you had three, three academics, uh, Bogosian, Lindsay and another person, who essentially fabricated as a test fabricated all this evidence and published mm -hmm. completely satirical articles about you know, lesbianism in dogs, I think was one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the articles. They fabricated all the evidence and a number of these articles got published by the leading journals in these fields mm -hmm. because there was absolutely no peer review that was done and people were just willingly, you know, it was confirmation bias on their part and then they were exposed as being fraudulent articles and yet they'd, they'd been cited by other experts in these fields. But also just going to show what these courses are really like. But don't underestimate too the, the, the part that money plays, you know, funding, you know, that you actually, if you want to get your various thesis done and everything, you, if you just tick a few things, so I'll be looking at this when in a diverse, you know, sort of framework, you get the money or whatever. Okay, you said you're, you don't mind being called right wing. Um, conservative, right wing, whatever. 
Um, but what, what does that mean, actually? What does it mean? Are we on the same page or not? Now, I know that you know, you've been a member of the Conservative Party, I mean, haven't you, for, since you were 16, yes, right? 16. But you have started this new group called the Orthodox Conservatives, as I mentioned. You've got 10 tenets, which people can see on your website if they go to it. Mm. Um, I would broadly say, if you don't mind, that they are more cultural ones than economic, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, you say um, that family is terribly important mm. and nation and things. I mean, how does that sort of, first of all, how does that go down with your peers, as it were? How does that go down with your <laughs> we, we, we were jumped on almost immediately for saying that we supported the family. I mean, yeah. you, you, you received a hell of a lot of abuse. Yeah, I mean, they were like, oh, well, I come from a single parent household. I come from a single parent household. Yeah, yeah. You demonize single, like, single parents, you do demonize single mothers. I was raised by a single mother who is absolutely amazing. What we're saying is that it's desirable to be raised by two parents. Mm. Some people were linking that to um, homophobia and you know mm -hmm. hatred mm -hmm. of gay people. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about promoting mm -hmm. the family unit, which I think we can all agree is essential for us to grow mm. into productive and healthy people in society. You only need to look at the statistics, both in this country and in America, at the effect that single parenthood for both women and men, when there's not a father in the home and when there's not a mother in the home, that impacts children greatly mm. later on in life. So what we're basically saying is we think it's time to focus more on this and kind of demonstrate the positives of it rather than attacking or demonising, you know, anyone as, you know, those people have kind of been accusing us of. <laughs> so does that, I mean, does this mean, for example, you know, I mean, we all like families, I, I love my family, and, and we, can, we can also see that it actually is part of the attack on it is because it's seen as the bedrock of capitalism, you know, and that is why they attack it. But, for example, would you therefore agree as what I would call traditional orthodox conservatives with gay marriage? I personally, yes. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't. Do, do, I personally, I don't have an opinion. Um, I well. That it's usually means something else, Dominic. <laughs> it usually means something it's, else. It's kind. It's kind of. It's kind of difficult, okay? Because there are some people that are religious that don't agree with gay marriage mm. for perfectly understandable reasons because mm. it's literally what their uh, religious book says, and I think that some people can be really intolerant which is really ironic towards mm. religious people and the way that they choose to follow their religious scripture religious scripture so some people might not agree with gay marriage for those reasons personally for me um, I think gay marriage is fine I just don't really think it makes sense for it to happen in a religious institution right. or that religious institutions should be forced to um, perform gay marriages because it is essentially against mm. their religion mm. but in terms of at me actively campaigning against gay marriage and telling someone that they can't get married because of their sexuality no that's not really me the reason i bring this up obviously is, is actually because this is a bit of a test case you know like cameron it was his big one of his big sort of policies in fact it's the only one he would be remembered <laughs> for actually which was gay marriage and it's kind of used a bit rather like abortion in america mm. we haven't arrived that yeah here yet but that is this big symbol of where you stand. 
I assume you've got no problem with gay marriage. Yeah, I, I take quite a liberal approach on these issues. Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with gay marriage, but again, I don't think that institutions should necessarily be forced. I think mm. they should have the choice. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, I think anyone should have the right to get married, regardless yeah. of their sexuality. But do you think, I mean, do you think that, as I said, Orthodox conservatives appear to be more cultural? Yes. Is that how you? See, I mean, the, the um, I conservatism now, because I think this this election has made a big difference, has it not? Right. Definitely. Um, I think I see it as a combination of, obviously, economics plays a big part in it as well. Um, I think orthodox conservatism should have a voice within the ideology, but I think it is important that it remains broad church. And the only issue that I have potentially with the ideology or the Conservative Party becoming dominated right. um, by this strand is that it could put... Uh, young people that we're trying to attract really off just because of the connotations that it might lead to. For example, anti-gay marriage, it's not particularly popular policy amongst young mm. people. I mean, that wouldn't, so be, that, that's just that my wouldn't be a policy. Um, I think, no, but yeah, it's but kind like, of like a connotation. Yeah, it is a connotation. Yes. Yes. But I think a lot of the time they often choose to associate that with it. Mm. I think the problem with the um, overly zealous, you know, you know, appeal to young people is that we often forego the values that form, you know, the foundation of the party in the first place. And I think that whilst the, you know, Conservative Party is known for its economics, if we look at this election, um, a lot of the areas that we attracted are more so culturally conservative mm -hmm. than you know rampant neoliberals who mm -hmm. want no regulation on anything at all. So I exactly. think and your mm -hmm. finger is on the yeah. zeitgeist. I mean, this is the future of conservatism that we're seeing right here. Mm -hmm. Every forty years or so, we have a major realignment election in British politics. It's happened for over a century now. Every forty years, nineteen seventy-nine was the last time when we had an economic uh, revolution. But that wasn't true conservatism. That was that was a neoliberal uh, agenda that was being pushed for the last forty years. And now, actually, we're returning to proper conservatism, high Toryism, which is more economically left-leaning, economically concerned with society, concerned with one nation, mm. lifting up parts mm. of the nation that require it. But actually, focusing on the issues which, as I said before, unite the former Labour voter in Bolsover with the Tory voter in Kensington and Chelsea far more than they are united to the Labour voter in Islington. It's culture now, which is the common bond that unites conservatives, small-c conservatives across the nation and the, the Generation Z, those people who are in uh, the conservative wing on Generation Z, espouse those same views. And gay marriage is a dead issue now, it's not going to change. I mean, yeah, those things, are, they're, they're di mm -hmm. that's, that's an unnecessary divergence because nothing's going to go on that, on that yeah. issue any longer. But All right, well, sorry, go ahead. Well, I think the other thing when it comes to uh, homosexual issues is, is that you, you are forced to take a black and white approach. You, you, the, the, the marriage thing is one thing. I mean, as, as Ray says, it's dead, frankly. Yeah, the no the law is the law. No one wants to change the law. Kind of yeah. Even in our group, I don't know a single person that thinks the law should be changed. Mm -hmm. But then there's the issue of, of say, Drag Queen Story Hour or um, this, this, this LGBT education in primary schools. I mean, I live in Birmingham and I live down the road from where these protests were happening um, by, by religious minority parents. And I heard all my friends saying, can you believe this? They, 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 they were protesting and I was saying, well, well, yes, I agree, because I don't think that you should be teaching sex education of any kind to anyone below the age of 12, this, frankly. Yeah. You, you, you've actually... You've hit on the fault line, or not a fault line, but I think this is a, to, to, to use the left's language, this is all intersectionalism I think we've got here. <laughs> you said, you, you'd agree with them. Here you've got situation, uh, LGBT teaching in primary, in school in 
Birmingham. You've got groups outside, mostly, this, I think they are mostly Muslim yeah, yeah. groups. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest about this, for goodness sake, we're not in the mainstream <laughs> media. It is a fact. You know? I mean, so basically, and they, they are protesting against it. So, right. Okay, so you've got one of the conflicts of multiculturalism here coming up. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand? You've already said you, you stand with the parents, right? How about you? Um, I, I believe that sex education does need to be started younger. It's just a fact of life that, obviously, um, whatever age a child is, eventually they are going to be confronted with these issues. Mm -hmm. So I think to kind of, and also I think part of it is tolerance, kind of teaching tolerance from a young age, because if they are coming from communities who uh, believe that, get, uh, that being gay is a sin, for example, mm. I think it's important to open up their mind to a different way of t uh, thinking. And also if their peers who aren't from a religious right. background decide that or realise that they are gay, then they need to be supported as well. Mm. So I think, I think it's more of an issue of tolerance. Um, and the younger you start, the better, I believe. But what obviously, it's sensitive. I think it's important to realise that these young people aren't, you know, being told the most explicit information. It's it's very tailored to a certain age group. I think it's easy. It's to relationship that. education. There's no sex component to no. the education that they're receiving. No. It's about relationships. With, yeah. with, there's no. So you think it's good? I'm a militant defender of liberal values, and so that's why I'm actually quite strong on this point. My in my view is. Identity politics is now a, t a terribly tarnished thing, but in the 1980s and 70s, you know, look at women's lib, you look at the civil rights movement in America, those rights were hard won by and hard fought and should be defended. And I'm very concerned that there is a move by immigrants coming into this country who come from traditions where none of these battles were fought. And they'd be so easy to do away with if you have a population coming in here who don't treat them as, as sacred as we treat them. And so I think things like the gay rights movement and the women's rights movement and the civil rights movement up through the 1990s to the, to the early part of the 2000s were very noble things. They've gone woefully over, uh, off track in the last 15 to 20 years. Mm. But what we achieved in those, in those years should be defended against people who are coming here who are less liberal on those things. And quite frankly, they're sort of um, medieval quite often. Well, oh. the, 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 the odd thing is that in fact, you know, with, with multiculturalism, of, obviously you've often got socially conservative groups you know, actually from completely different places. I mean, from parts of Europe, you know, and Catholic and whatever, not just Muslim. Um, I haven't asked you, Dominic, where do you stand on? Because this is, this, is, this is important. I didn't quite get, do you think that the, that the school should teach this then? This is, as far as I'm aware, this is purely about relationships. It's not about sex education. So it's okay. Yeah. Right, okay, so we've got a disagreement going. I don't think it needs to be taught to five and six year olds. Right. I just don't think it's needed, I think. Uh, in year six, which I think I was when I was in year six, taught about um, sex education and relationships. What sexual relationships or, um, you know, yeah, what sexual relationships are five and six year olds going to mm. have? I just, I don't see the need to bring sex into everything. And I know that you said it's not specifically about sex or explicitly mentioning sex, but those are the connotations that that kind of thing has. Mm. Um, I think that I do agree with you about um, people from immigrant backgrounds that have very extreme views when it comes to things like homosexuality, women's rights and things women's like rights. that. But I think that there's an opportunity to do that when kids are a bit older and have the agency to think for themselves. I think at the age of five and six, there's a fine line between education and tolerance and indoctrination. I think that when you're at such a tender age, those kinds of things don't need to be addressed just yet, maybe when you're a bit older. Basically. I sort of, I mean, I, I think I, for what it's worth, I, 
on the one hand, I sort of can see what you're saying about the school, but on the other hand, I look at the present, pres protesters and I also hear some of the things they've said. Homophobic and, things, and, yeah. and, and also I think, you know what, these people, they just don't like gay people. Actually. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest about this. A lot of it is anti-LGBT. Yeah, a lot yeah. of it is just anti-gay. Yeah. And, 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 and essentially, am I going to line up with you lot? No. <laughs> or am I going to line up with you lot? <laughs> uh, it's a problem. But see, this, I think this comes back to what I was saying about being, things being black, black and white. Yeah. There's, this, there's this erasure of nuance. You can't you can't. But where's stand the nuance there, then? The, the, the nuance, I think, comes from, from Rafe's perspective of saying, well, as, as Dominic says, you know, maybe it's a bit too young, but at the same time, you need to be able to turn around to the other side and say, but you are being unreasonable. Yeah. Mm. And no one seems to want to stand in the middle and, and because I feel like then they think they're being attacked from both sides. Whereas in reality, frankly, you need these people to stand up and say, well, maybe we need to take a step back here, look at what's actually being discussed, why it's being discussed the way it is, and whether that's productive. And, and the answer is no, mm. frankly. Doctor, there should be a principle. If you are coming to a country, as if you're joining a club, you subscribe to the principles and rules of that club, yes, or you absolutely. don't come to that club. Them, yeah, yeah. Mm. But, why, but, but at the same time, why is it that we, you would say to people who are coming to this country, right, you need to change entirely, but then we change the rules once they're here. Mm. That's, that's a difficult thing to say, because if, if, these, if these parents are coming here when they're 17, 18 years old and, and education in school is very much concerned with practical knowledge, technical knowledge, and then when you get to about 15, there is sex education, and for them that's acceptable. But then 20 years down the line they have their own children and in that time things change and things have changed irrevocably so. So how on, how on earth can you then reasonably say to these people, you are in the wrong? Because if the, the rug's well, been pulled are, out from there under... Are, there are established channels for affecting change in civilised societies and they aren't the tactics that are employed by these groups. No, I completely agree, but, 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 but how could they? Because if in theory we've had a Conservative government for the last five years, in theory ten. I think the thing is, yeah, but the thing is with this is it's, it's the age-old thing we've covered before. But you know, you have a conservative government, but the the general drift of society is leftward, and and for reasons that we've already sort of covered today, i.e., the people who are in control of the culture in a way, and people who who, who can decide things, carry on this leftward, mm. you know, progressive, so-called progressive kind of ideology, regardless of the government. Speaking of which, um, you know. What about Boris? Do you like Boris? Uh, yeah, so I really liked Boris during the campaign. Uh, he's a brilliant campaigner. I mean, we saw that during the London mayoral elections. And I do believe that he was the right prime minister for the time. Is he the most conservative we have ever had? No, but I think... Where would I you like him to be more conservative? Um, I think that, obviously, there's some big spending pledges, but I did understand that that was needed in many ways to kind of counter what Jeremy Corbyn was doing. Um, so, I, so I guess it was right for the time, but I disagree with him on HS2 and 5G. Right. So, obviously, if, if I could, I'd change those decisions. Right, right. Okay. What about Dominic? What about Boris? What do you think of him? Impressed, not impressed? I initially actually didn't like Boris. First I backed Dominic Raab, and then um, I backed Jeremy Hunt, which a lot of people were actually surprised by. Um, with regards to Boris, like Emily said, he's a brilliant campaigner, and he's done really, really well in the election. Is he the most conservative prime minister? No, like obviously not. But um, And there are some issues that I just don't agree with, such as HS2, such as 5G, and our buddy buddy approach to China <laughs> and the fact that and the fact that we um, seem to be kind of turning our nose up really at America which a lot of people didn't really expect him to do I know Boris has been very critical of Trump but in times 
of Brexit, I think that you know more of a warmer approach to America would be helpful. But um, overall, I'm not a massive fan, but I think he's right for the time. And uh, I want him to visit flood victims as well, and he hasn't. I, I, I've got a feeling that the whole American thing might just be a bit of showboating. For, uh, I think he probably is very much on side with America. But I mean, what, what, do you, what, do you, what about you then, Jake? You, um, I'm very <laughs> conflicted on Boris. Right. Um, for, for, for many reasons, Emily's pointed out, uh, the spending plans are. Um, I think that I think that's 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 playing the left's game too much. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it, I mean strategically it was successful in the election, so that you, you can't really criticise them on that. But but now they're in government. They are obviously torn between a rock and a hard place of how realistic are these things, but at the same time, we need to make sure we hold on to these northern seats that have now been won. So I think if you're going to spend the money that he's planning to, you should get rid of HS2 and get rid of 5G and instead focus on investing in local communities, rebuilding certain... I mean, some person was saying to me a couple of weeks ago about how HS2 isn't just for commuting, it's for the transport of goods. I said, well, you know, if you, if you read, say, Robert Winder's The Last Wolf or any, any uh, history books of, of the, the 15th to the 17th century most freight was traveled by canal and by coast so why do we not reinvest in coastal towns and, and rebuild shipbuilding in that respect you know why, why are we not doing something a little bit more long-term a little bit more practical when it comes to these left-behind communities right That's so so, but basically you kind of like him but I mean do you think he's really conservative Rave? I mean for example, I just think, can't think of it, I think of his attitude towards immigration, which is one of the big issues for people at Brexit. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. He's come up with the idea for amnesties for illegal immigrants. Terrible idea, I think. Yeah, terrible. Um, I'm very sceptical about the new immigration policy that's come out, which actually could, I think could have the opposite effect of what it's meant to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you There's think a huge problem here in that the model that they seem to be going on migration is one whereby they're guaranteed success at the ballot box by being seen to be tough on migration, whereas the reality is they're not being tough at all in practice. Mm. And that message is very difficult to convey to the electorate who will see the numbers and won't actually have the information at their disposal to realise that this, this is merely th- theatrics that's being mm. portrayed. And I'm, I'm, I, and I'm worried that this may be seen in other areas of government policy going forward. Huawei worries me greatly. But I do have a lot of faith that he is the man for the times. I used to deride Cameron and Blair by citing Churchill's old adage that it's very hard for a nation to look up to a person who always has his ear to the ground. But actually, that is the success of Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings. Is, you know, we used to have the listening bank, we now have the listening prime minister, who's basically, who's un- who understands, even though he's not necessarily conservative, he understands the needs and the, the issues that concern the former you know, Red Wall Labour, who are culturally conservative, and so he goes where the votes is, much mm. like Trump goes where the votes is, you know, an old Democrat from New York, now a Republican. He understands where his, his concern is being re-elected, and that means you need to cater to the needs of the Red Wall. And so the infrastructure investment, I want to see, the, I want to see Northern England actually rise up from, from its current, mm. its current okay. level. And if he can do that, then that will be a success in my, in my view as a, a person who believes in One Nation Toryism. Mm. Um, speaking of One Nation Tourism going forward, because we're just ending now really, but uh, this is obviously an extremely important thing, but personally, you personally, you know this sort of thing I said at the beginning about having no heart when you're, if, you, if you're not lefty when you're young, then it means you have no heart and everything. Obviously, you know, it's just absurd, you know, you're well-rounded people for goodness sake with emotions <laughs> oh, thanks. Know, not quite hollowed out yet um, but I wonder therefore 
you know, if you could just briefly sum, why would you say at 15, 16, join the Tory party or something? What, what was, why? Why did you become conservative? For me, um, it was essentially the philosophy and it just made more sense to me. So for example- when You it, had to seek it out. Yeah, I did. Like, I had to learn about it because initially I didn't really know anything about politics. And then I started learning about ideology. And then I knew that I didn't, I wasn't really interested or passionate about socialism. So I was kind of like, hmm. But then with liberalism, I looked at liberalism. And then I was looking at philosophical conservatism. And just for me, when I looked at conservatism and, you know, kind of learned about its tenets, it just made more practical and logical sense to me. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, the organic society that's normally associated with One Nation conservatism and how we're all of value to one another. And we're not just individuals in a state, you know, we're all connected mm -hmm. and community is absolutely mm -hmm. vital and a kind of cohesion in community is vital in order for society to operate healthily. And also, I'd say, our view of humanity, that you know, we are imperfect, and I think liberals attribute too, too much to us as humans. They automatically assume we're rational, whereas conservatives, conservatives accept that we're not, we're imperfect, and that's where our kind of more hardline paternalistic kind of policies come from with regards to law and order, for example. So that's what made me join the Conservative Party. I would say that I'm less a, a party political conservative though. Mm. I identify with the party and I, I will vote for them if needs be, but I'm more of a philosophical conservative. I'd How say. about you? Um, well, it's actually quite funny. I grew up with my dad kind of channeling down the strong labour rhetoric. Really? Yeah, so my dad works for the NHS, he's a doctor in the NHS and um, yeah, he's always been a strong labour, so is my granddad. I remember them, them saying that anyone's a Conservative's a fascist, obviously joking around really. <laughs> um, and, and as a 16 year old rebel, I thought I'd see what's on the other side. Mm. And obviously at the time it was, da it was David Cameron and right. I actually, as a 16 year old, I actually um, identified a lot with him. I saw that he was quite a uh, a more liberal conservative um, whether you can actually be a liberal conservative is a whole nother debate but he, he kind of channeled more kind of uh, liberal views and um, it kind of made me see a different side to what my dad was saying um, so I decided that I was that I wanted to join the conservative because I think the other thing as well about Labour is they're very prone to kind of knee-jerk reactions mm. and I really believe in a pragmatic approach to things like the economy and that's something the conservatives could really offer. So it was actually sort of a rebe rebellion. Uh, well, a bit of a rebellion. well, I, I did my research, yeah. but I have to say that the research was read, led a little bit by a rebellious side. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Dave? Um, well, I th I th growing up, my my dad's a farmer, and so was his dad. But but my my granddad's father was was a uh, Labour Party member in, in Yorkshire and in and, and factories. And when when I was growing up, they always told me about the strikes in the seventies and, and the three day working week and, and all these sorts of things. And they said, you know, we d we never want to go back to that and and all the rest. And and as a result, I was when I was about twelve thirteen, and, and Cameron was was uh, talking about you know the need for compassionate conservatism. I I remember thinking, well, that seems a bit strange, compassionate conservatism, mm -hmm. because we do have this caricature of conservatism as being quite hard, quite authoritarian, as you say. I did my research into it, 
And the thing that struck me and, and always stuck out to me, and, and, and I know that it's a, it's a bit of a toxic name in politics, but there was a really, really interesting thing said by Enoch Powell on, yeah. on obligation and duty, mm-hmm. which was, he was talking about the Good Samaritan parable in the Bible, and I'm, I'm a Christian myself. And he said that the, 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 the parable of the Good Samaritan is very much about willingness and, and, and feeling of obligation that comes from internally. You, know, you see someone on the side of the road, you want to help. Mm. If there had been a Roman soldier standing there forcing the Good Samaritan to help, he wouldn't have been the Good Samaritan. He would have been a civilian. Mm. Now, that then led me back to compassionate conservatism, and I, and I saw whether this was Cameron's intention or not, that when conservatism rows back the state and says to people, you be, you be moral and be helpful and, and dutiful to other people, but how you see fit, mm. it's a much richer understanding of compassion. Mm. It's a freer compassion. It's more moral compassion. It's mm. one that you cultivate as you grow up. So that was what led me to, to, to the philosophical conservatism that Dominique talked about. I have nothing but respect for the three of you for doing that, because rightly or wrongly, I've always had more respect for people who have changed horses of their family's political mm. leanings. Mm. I've also people like Hillary Benn on one side, mm. the son of Tony Benn or Nicholas Soames from you know, Churchill's grandson. You're born into your class and into your world view and you've gone along with the, the view of your fathers and forefathers. But to actually change that view, to think mm. for yourself, to take over off those right or left leaning blinkers and to determine your own path in life, I think is very much uh, kudos to you on that front. Well, I think it shows great sort of uh, strength of mind, actually. Uh, you know, I'd agree with you on there. Uh, and also, all the very best to you, you know, for the future. Oh, you know? Thank well, you we're gonna much. we're gonna kind of cross paths again, I think, on this show, yeah. aren't we? But so. Dominic, Jake, Emily, and of course, Rob. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, great show, I think you'll agree. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. In the meantime, please remember to subscribe to Counterculture, won't you? Thank you. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.